said that no other name is precious, so let's praise the name. Is there anybody who's going to do exactly what you've been declaring? Oh, come on, let's praise the name. No other name that's higher, no other name that's stronger. Thank you so much. God bless you. Please do take your seats. Know that name is worthy to be praised. Amen. Because there's no other name like that name. That name of Jesus. The Bible says that name is a strong tower. You know, we can run into it and be saved. That's not my topic today. I'm not speaking on the name of Jesus Christ, but that name gets me excited. Because that name is just such an awesome name. It says every knee shall bow at that name. That name is healing, it's salvation, it's hope. Hallelujah. And we have an opportunity to encounter the one who is Jesus on a daily basis. You have an opportunity in your walk with him. I have an opportunity in my walk with him to encounter that name and everything that that name brings to us on a daily basis. You know, when Jesus was leaving this earth, he gave a commission. It says that we should go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Amen. And we should baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he is going to be with us till the very end of the age. His desire is that we come, we become people with a passion. Turn to your neighbor and say, people with a passion. Oh, you need to say that with a little bit more conviction, with a bit more passion. Okay, we need to be people with a passion. Amen. Well, today we're starting a series here in the 2.30 service, and we're going to be carrying throughout the month of June on this theme of being people with a passion, you know, following through on the Great Commission. You know, Jesus Christ gave us one command and one command alone, that we should be disciples. Now, a disciple means that I will demonstrate Christ by bringing his salvation message to others. I will demonstrate Christ by sharing his love abroad in my heart. I'll demonstrate Christ by being 
everything that he would be to those around him. I'll demonstrate Christ by going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. That is simply an outworking of his call and his commission to me to be a disciple. And today, we want to tackle this subject of love. My topic today is loving like God does. Loving like God does. You know, one of the things that I see all around me, you know, all the time is that people carry passion and desire for all sorts of things. All sorts of things. You just need to encounter somebody, spend some time with them, and pretty soon you're going to find out what they're passionate about. Maybe it might be about some sports. Maybe it might be about football or, or, or golf or, or Formula One or some other sports. Maybe it might be about, about art and, 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 and sculpture. Maybe it might be uh, they're passionate about all sorts of things. And you know, people find passion for every kind of thing under the sun, every kind of thing under the sun. Maybe you're here and you're passionate about something this afternoon, something that challenges, challenges you, something that drives you. But as believers in Jesus Christ, God wants us to be passionate about him, about who he is, about his name, and to share that passion with others. God shares this passion that he has for us in no other way than demonstrating his love towards us. And this afternoon, we want to spend some time looking at how we can draw from this passionate love experience that he has poured out upon us, that we can love like God does. You know, in the first word in this month's revival time, maybe you've uh, had yours today for the first time, or maybe you picked up uh, your copy last week. Uh, and I do encourage you to take some time to read the first word. The first word you'll find uh, uh, in the inside, I think the second page, that's page five, in the revival time. So you've got the inside uh, page, it tells you what's in there. And then there's the first word, which is from our senior minister, uh, Colin Dye. He shares every month a first word. And really, it's kind of like a soundbite, a heartbeat of uh, things that God has put on his heart that he's wanting to just, you know, galvanize us with as we go into that particular month. And it's interesting because in his first word in this month's revival time, Colin says this. It says, the Bible speaks of the hidden depths within, within us which we know nothing about. The Bible speaks of the hidden depths within us which we know nothing about. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any way in me that is contrary to you and lead me in a, the right way. And he goes on to say this. It says, This loving probing awakens us to deep longings within and directs us to the only one who can truly satisfy them. And so God is searching our hearts. He's probing our hearts. He's working upon our hearts. And he's doing it in a loving way. And he awakens us to these deep longings within and draws us to him. Because he's the one that can truly satisfy those deep longings. Today we're looking at a topic that really challenges us at the core of who we are. 
And that's the statement to love like God does. Wow. To love like God does. You know, when I started preparing for this, I thought to myself, this is, this, this is just an impossible task. Because to, to challenge people to love like God does, I mean, I myself need to be challenged in this truth to love like God does. But I hope that as we go through our time together this afternoon, in some way God will deposit something within us, within our hearts, to begin to awaken in us this truth, this possibility, this capacity that we can love like he does. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I uh, switched on the TV and um, had some time with my cell group in the afternoon. I was on my own, so I thought, well, let me just relax for a little while before um, I, I finish off uh, my preparation for today and uh, switch on the TV and um, Family Fortunes was on. Now, I love quiz shows. I, I love quiz shows. That's one thing I love in, on television. Quiz shows, um, I, I love quiz shows. Everything from, you know, um, question of sports to uh, 15 to 1 to pointless to university challenge. Quiz shows, I watch it. Um, and uh, I, I say to my, to my son that the only reason I watch University Challenge is so that I can answer one question to confirm that I did go to university. <laughs> but I, I love questions. And Family Fortunes, which is, uh, if you know the, the, the way it works, um, they ask uh, 100 people a question. And then the, the, the contestants are meant to try to come up with the answers of what these hundred people would have said. And, you know, they scale it down from, you know, the top one to the bottom. Anybody watch Family Fortunes here before? Okay. Um, so you, you have a little bit of a clue of what I'm talking about. So I was watching uh, Family Fortunes, and then they ask the question. We ask 100 people, what is the area of the body that the most songs have been written about? What is the area of the body that the most songs have been written about? Somebody was watching that yesterday. <laughs> so, did anybody watch Family Fortunes yesterday? Okay. And the answer was the heart. The answer was the heart. Romans 5.5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. says this, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Us. I can close my Bible, walk off the platform, and that can be the end of my sermon. Because you see, in that single verse, we have everything that you and I need to demonstrate this truth of loving like God does. Because his love, the love of God, has been poured out where? In our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so the destination of God's love being poured out is in your heart and in 
my heart. Now, you've probably often heard the use of the phrase, I love you. Maybe you heard it today, maybe you heard it this morning. Uh, I'm sure Gabriel heard it this morning um, before he came over. Um, but that word is an oftentimes used word. You might have heard it as a child. Someone might have told you those incredible three words, I love you. But you see, knowing it and believing it are not the same thing. Knowing what those words says and believing it are not the same thing. Now, God's word says over and over again that he loves us. But when we truly believe it, and we don't just sit back and say, oh, well, that's nice. It's so nice that God loves me. No, when we receive that love response from us would be, oh, gosh, he loves me. Something is transformed within our hearts. Something is transformed within our lives. And when we truly believe that the Lord loves us, our relationship with God will deepen beyond anything we can ever imagine and change our lives in a way that nothing else can. The greatest revelation you can have in your life is that God loves you. That's the greatest revelation, that God loves you. Because you see, if you are able to not just hear those words, just, just assimilate them just as head knowledge, but to allow it to sink deep into your heart, to receive it, to believe it, it will change everything about you. You see, head knowledge is different from heart knowledge. Head knowledge will rationalize. You see, if your perspective, your understanding of God's love for you stops at you thinking that, well, God loves me because I've paid my tithes. God loves me because I pray in the Spirit for an hour a day. God loves me because I've never missed a cell meeting this year. I've even attended the cell when the cell leader was in there and canceled the cell. I even attended, so I haven't even missed a cell meeting this year. Your actions have got absolutely nothing to do with God's love for you. The story is told in Luke chapter 7 of the woman with the alabaster jar. We know that story. I'm just going to read a few verses from that passage. I'll pick it up from verse 44. This woman had come to Jesus and this woman had taken what was essentially a, a very expensive bottle of perfume and had used this to anoint Jesus' feet. And Jesus was responding to Simon saying that, well, this is such a waste. You, you could have done something more worthwhile with this perfume. You could have sold it, got some money, and you know, put it to some good use. And Jesus' response was this. Verse 44, he says this. Then he turned to the woman and said to to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is given, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This woman was demonstrating a love response because she knew that Jesus was the only one who could forgive every single sin that she had ever committed. You see, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, you were not born, you had not started sinning yet. So when he died, he died for all your sins in the future. Jesus' death and what Calvary has, has accomplished for you comes to you 2,000 years after the act took place. And so every single day, that love response that caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross of Calvary is being manifested in your life as he cleanses and forgives you from every single sin. Unlike the English word love, because, you know, it's a very widely used word, and uh, in some contexts, maybe we don't understand the full expression of what it is. Um, we see that in, 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 in the, the Greek language, there are three words that are used to describe love. Three words that are used to describe love. The first is uh, eros, or erotic love. The second is philia, or or philanthropical love, and the third is agape, self-sacrificing love. Of these three words, we know that the uh, New Testament is uh, written uh, primarily in Greek. Um, of these three words for love, two of them are used in the New Testament, the words filio and the words agape. We do not see the word eros used because by this time there had been such a depravity of sexual uh, 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 debasement and promiscuity that the word was not thought fitting to be used in the context of Scripture. So it doesn't show up in the New Testament. Now let's look at the meaning of these two words that show up in the New Testament when the New Testament says love or translates from the Greek the word love. The first is philio, um, which, uh, from which we uh, get words like philosophy, which is a love of wisdom, or ph philanthropy, love of uh, fellow man. Um, and this word is describing the kind of feeling or emotion we would have towards family and friends. So towards somebody that has some kind of connection towards, endearment towards. So if we respond in filio, it's towards somebody that we have an affiliation for. Filio is never used in the context of talking about somebody who is, in any shape or form, described as an enemy. You cannot filio your enemy. And so, that word is used to describe brotherly kind of love, a, a connection with someone, an emotional connection with someone, but it rests at a superficial level because that person in some way has some connection with you. The other word that we see used in the New Testament to describe love is the word agape. 
agape. Now, agape typically describes a self-sacrificing love. It is the kind of love that moves people into action and looks after the well-being of others, no matter what the personal cost. So it is agape that caused Jesus Christ to take upon himself, as Philippians 2 says, upon himself the form of earthly man to strip himself of his glory, of his splendor, of his majesty, of his kingship, and subject himself in obedience to the death on the cross. That is agape, the self-sacrificing love. And this is what we can describe as the God kind of love. So when we start talking about loving like God does, because the Bible says, whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God didn't love us when we said, God, we want you in our lives. God loved us before we said, God, we want you in our lives. We need you in our lives. Forgive us of our sins. God had already loved us whilst we were still sinners, whilst our backs were still turned away from him. He still loved us. And he continued to love us until we made that response and did that repentance action, changed our direction, faced him head on, and allowed ourselves to embrace that love that was being poured out upon us. John 3.16 is probably the greatest love story that we can ever read in the pages of any book. In John 3.16, the scripture says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It is not dealing with human relationship or human emotions or the kind of love response that we might have for one another. This is the God kind of love. God manifested his love towards a sick, lost, and dying world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have what everlasting life but have everlasting life now that text is a loaded text in john 3:16 because we see there that god is the author of this kind of love. It starts nowhere else but in God. This kind of love is demonstrated first and foremost by God because he is love. He is his nature to love, to respond lovingly to his people. But God needed an object for this love, for God so loved the world. You see, love cannot be love without an object of focus. And if we're going to demonstrate loving like God loves, we also need an object of focus. For God so loved the world. And the manifestation of this love is that he did something about it. You see, love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. Love is an action. For God so loved the world, the object of his love that he did what? He gave. Love is always demonstrated by a capacity to give. By a capacity to give. If we're going to demonstrate this kind of love, 
the agape kind of love, we need to be willing to give. That whosoever believes in him, somebody had to respond to that love that was being poured out. We responded to that love and we obtained eternal security that we would not perish but have everlasting life. I guess the question that really comes out of this, well, why? Why does God love in this kind of way? Why does God love you and me? Because we're not lovable. We did not demonstrate ourselves to him as being people who are desirable of that love. You know, I'm picking on Gabriel today. I'm sure when he looked on his beautiful wife, he knew that if I love this wonderful lady, I'm sure that she's going to love me back. I'm just picking up. He's back from honeymoon, so I'm allowed to pick, pick on him. But you see, you and I, we're not desirous or desirable to God to be loved, to have his love poured out on us. We were not. As a matter of fact, Romans says that we had fallen short of his glory. We were so far removed from him. If anything, what was due to us was judgment, not his love. Because of the sin and trespasses in which you and I had walked in. But in the midst of our separation, in the midst of our backs being turned away from God, he poured out his love upon us. So, why? Why does God love us? One thing is certain, like I said, it's not because we are lovable. There is nothing desirable about us or because we deserve his love. If anything, the opposite is true because of our rebellion and our sin. And in our natural state, we do not seek God. Romans says, we are like sheep. We will stray. We will not move towards his love. Our tendency will be to move away from his love. So how come... God positions himself to love us. Well, 1 John 4 and verse 8 and also verse 16 tell us that God is love. God is love. A profound statement. You see, Love is God's nature. It's God's attribute. It's God's completeness. It's who he is. It's, it's the embodiment and essence of who he is. He is love, and therefore, because he is love, he will demonstrate love. Something that is inherent in who he is. God is love. God is love. And in the same way as God is love, God has called us to respond to that love. But you see, if we had never responded to that love, it would not have changed that nature that God carried in and of himself. 
So if you and I had never said, yes, God, I receive that love, I embrace that love in my life, that was not going to change God's nature. God would have still loved you, and God would still love you. And that's why you and I can have confidence in him, because we know that nothing can separate us, Romans says, from the love of God that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot do anything from now till you, till you go to be with him that will separate you from his love. Why? Because his position towards you is constant. God will continue to love you and will continue to love you and will continue to love you. Oh yes, you might turn your back on him. Oh yes, you might go straight, but he will continue to love you because his nature is to love. Amen? His nature is to love. God will love you. And because his nature is to love, he will demonstrate that love. He will demonstrate that love. He demonstrates that love by first and foremost sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave. He sent Jesus Christ to die, settle the debt, put him as a substitute sacrifice, and then calls you and points you to what he has done for you. You know, I have this picture and this imagery that salvation is like God wrapping up a present at Christmas time and brings that present to us. And our attention is elsewhere, puts that present right in front of us. And we are not paying attention to that present. And he taps us on the shoulder and he says, hey, look what I've got for you. I'm like, what, that? Yes. Aren't you going to open it and see what's inside? The kind of things parents might do with their kids on Christmas morning, knowing that you've purchased the very thing that you know that they want more than anything else. And so the satisfaction is having wrapped that gift and presented it to that child is to bring to that child attention that that gift is there and all you need to do is to unwrap it. And the parent takes satisfaction to see this child unwrap that gift and then the child says, how did you know that I want this? Oh, I didn't. Liar, liar. See, God has packaged for us, in his love, salvation. Now, salvation comes with everything that you and I need to make it in this life. Everything that you and I need, not just to get to heaven, but to get to heaven and enjoy a glorious inheritance. Amen. And he's wrapped it up. He's packaged it up. And he doesn't just put it to one side and say, well, if you find... You know, can you imagine the parent, I've gone and I've bought this, this whatever it is that the child wants and I've wrapped it up nicely and I take it and I stick it somewhere in the back of the loft, somewhere out of the reach of my, my child and then Christmas morning comes and I says, well, you might have a gift somewhere. You have to find it. I think, oh, what kind of a parent are you? That's a bit mean. You bought the gift for him. Why don't you just give him the gift? Why do you wrap it up and keep it somewhere and hide it somewhere and you know, don't give them the opportunity, the pleasure of unwrapping that gift? We'll find it weird, won't we? You see, God wraps up the gift of salvation. He brings it to us and he's constantly calling us and drawing our attention. Hey, 
Look at the gift, unwrap the gift, open the gift, embrace the gift, let the gift impact your life so that you can walk in the fullness of what this gift is meant to touch and do in your life. And the greatest gift I believe that God has given us is the gift and the capacity to love. Because when we love, we are demonstrating Him. And so, God loves us. God demonstrates his love towards us so that you and I, because we have been created, remember when God created us, in the beginning he says we were created in his image and his likeness. That capacity to love had been broken by the fall. And he restores that capacity to love in us when we embrace Jesus Christ in our lives as a personal Lord and Savior. And God's love for us is personal. God will love you as an individual. So there isn't this one-size-fits-all kind of approach that God has. You know, you just go and you, you know, these one-size-fits-all things that they sometimes sell, and you know, you go, you buy, and it's like, well, it's not quite fitting, but it's one-size-fits-all. You know, sometimes you buy these gloves, it's one-size-fits-all. You're thinking, well, that's too tight, or, you know, that's a bit loose. But it's one-size-fits-all. No, no, no. God's love is not a one-size-fits-all kind of love. God's love is personal to you. It's personal to me. You know, for God so loved Dudley that he gave his only begotten son, that if Dudley would believe in him, Dudley will not perish, but Dudley would have everlasting life. That is how God's love comes to you as an individual personally. God loves you as an individual personally. But you see, it would have been wonderful if the story stopped there. You know, God loves me personally. It's wonderful. His love is shed abroad in my heart. I know that I'm accepted in the beloved. I know that he's died for me. I know salvation has purchased for me so many things, healing, prosperity, etc., etc., etc. God loves me and he's bought all this. It would have been so wonderful if the story stopped there. But no, his desire is that we take that which we have received and that we pour it into others, into the lives of those that are around us. You know, I want to say something to you this afternoon. You might be here and you might say, well, you know, sometimes people are just not lovable. Hello? Hello? Do you know some not very lovable people? No, don't put your hands up. Sometimes people are not very lovable. You see, you don't have to like people to love them. I'll say that again. You don't have to like people to love them because love is a decision of the will. And the wonderful thing is, you have in you already the capacity to love. Our opening scripture this afternoon was from Romans 5.5. 5. And what did it say in Romans 5.5? 5? The love of God has been shed abroad. Where? In our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. You see, when you were born again, something happened to you. 
something happened to you, the lights were switched on. See, if we were to switch off all these lights now, well, it's probably a little bit bright still, so there's some light from the window. We'll pull all the curtains and close everything, switched all the lights off. It will be dark in here, yes? But for us to change that darkness, all we need to do is to switch the light on. That's all we need to do. You see, the light is already in place. The bulbs are already there. All the lamps are there. And all you need to do is to switch the lights on. When you were born, you were born with the capacity to love. It was like the light fitting already was in place. Everything that you needed to demonstrate God's love was already there, but you did not have the capacity to do so, to demonstrate his love. Why? The lights were off. When you are born again, something happens to you. In the time of Jesus Christ, this guy called Nicodemus comes to him. He was a teacher of the law. He would have been in our own modern language, probably a professor of theology. This guy knew the scripture like the back of his hand. He would have known, uh, memorized huge chunks of the Torah and the prophets off by heart. And he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to experience salvation? And Jesus says to him, and we know that passage in John 3, 3, and if you're here today and you're not yet born again, you can be born again today. Because Jesus Christ says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He repeats himself and says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we cannot love like God loves unless we make that transition into the place where our spirit is renewed. Because Jesus says to him, you need to be born of water and of the spirit. Your spirit needs to be made alive. The very first book that I read after I was born again was a book by Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. That book totally blew my mind away. It was called Eternity in Their Hearts. And the summary of the book is this, my summary anyway. There is a God-shaped hole in every man's heart. You see, when you were born, something in you was like that light fitting. You're just waiting for that moment when God connects with you, the light turns on, brightness comes in, and your life is never the same again. And so when you encounter Jesus, what happens is that your spirit comes alive. Your spirit comes alive. It was already there. All the fixtures and fittings and everything was already there. All that needed to happen was for God to come break in. You respond to that salvation message. Be born again and your spirit came alive. And that moment when your spirit came alive is the moment where God sheds his love abroad in your heart because he does so by his spirit. 
And so every one of us, every single one of us, without exception, we have the capacity to love like God loves. Not because of something we can manufacture or do, something we can make up, something we can uh, adjust, but simply as a response to the spirit that is at work in us, taking on the very attributes and nature of God that he can place and deposit within your life and my life. And we can begin to demonstrate his love like never before. God wants us to rise up to be people with a passion who love like he does because he has given us the capacity to do exactly that. And the encouragement is you don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to crank it up. You simply need to respond to the Holy Spirit, which is already at work in you because you are born of the Spirit. And just allow God's love just to just bubble up and well up inside of you and be poured out from you. And you can literally demonstrate God's love in loving like he does. Your believers, your brothers and sisters, the entire world that he has placed us in, even that which we might construe to be our enemy, we can still demonstrate God's love to because it's the self-sacrificing, agape kind of love that comes from him to us and is worked out in our lives by his spirit. My prayer is that we rise to new levels of loving and demonstrating God's love like he does because the capacity to do so has already been given to you and to me. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Actually, let's, let's stand, let's stand, let's stand. I want this afternoon, before I finish up, to just make a very quick appeal. Maybe as I've been sharing this afternoon, you're here and you're saying, well, I don't even understand what it means to experience this lights being switched on thing which you're talking about, this relationship with God, this thing about walking with God. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never really experienced it in that way. You're here and you're not born again. You've never said, Lord, I received that salvation gift that you gave when you died on the cross of Calvary. Today, you can receive that gift. And if you're here and you've never done that before, I just want you to, just as we're about to pray right now, just to acknowledge that you want to do that today, and somebody will come and spend some time with you at the end of the service. Is there anybody here in this place today? And you're saying, well, I want to start this journey today. I want for that eternity that is in my heart to be birthed right here and now. If that's you, just lift your hand right now. I'll acknowledge it and pray with you at the end. Is there anybody in this place? Give one more prayer. Is there anybody who wants to respond to that salvation appeal right now? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for every person in this place who has experienced that personal encounter with you that has been born again that has that capacity to love. Father, I pray today that you will ignite afresh in our hearts and in our spirits 
the realization and the knowledge that we can love because you love, because your spirit has been shared abroad in our hearts. Help us to be effective in this, in our ministry to those around us, our brothers and sisters, and to the world that you have placed us in, that they will truly come to know you because we demonstrate your love towards them. Help us to love like you do in every aspect of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.